Part thirteen of Confessions of Two Brothers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Confessions of Two Brothers by John Cooper Powis and Llewellyn Powis. Confessions by Llewellyn. Section two. The Diary of a Private Tutor. Wednesday, May sixth. Arrived here yesterday. The discreet, ironic civility of the coachman who was waiting for me on the platform made me at once aware of my new social position, of the social position of a private tutor. The house is late Georgian and is overgrown with roses, jasmine and ivy. It has a slate roof and large sash windows. As I waited at the front door, I noticed a wire-haired terrier standing under a tall fir tree. I neglected to raise my eyes to the branches above, where I might have detected the amused visage of my future pupil. He is large for his age. His steel-grey eyes appear to change colour, just like a ferret's do when you hold it up. His narrow lips clearly reveal his spoilt, ineffectual soul. I am not to sleep in the house. They have found rather nice lodgings for me on the outskirts of the town, a mile away. Dinner in the evening was a repetition of tea, the same discreet overtures, the same critical and intense scrutiny. Thursday, May 7th. Woke early, had breakfast at 8 o'clock, and then walked by the side of an old disused canal which meanders through grass fields. Arranged a programme of work, and was unutterably depressed at the sight of each dreary and well-known school-book. Swore to myself that I would never enter the hated profession again. After supper took a long walk in the dark, came to a village churchyard, quite white with cow parsley, the delicate flowers casting a misty gossamer veil over innumerable mounds. As I sat there for a few minutes, smoking a cigarette, I could not help wondering if the dead, buried people all round had any kind of existence. It was a moonless night, but the sky was illumined by mighty suns, reduced to mere specks of light in the infinite distance. I can never understand how people find consolation in looking at the stars. To me they appear profoundly melancholy. Monday the 11th. A gloomy day. There has been thunder about. I found Herb Paris in some private woods belonging to people called Hussey. Their house, an Elizabethan building, was not far off, and as we crossed a field heavy with drenched May grass, we saw a figure in black walking on one of the terraces. They tell me she was Mrs. Hussey, who had lost her only child, a boy of nine years, in the early spring. It rained all the evening. Tuesday the 12th. Went for a motor drive and had a picnic on the downs. Coming back, there was not room for me in the car, so I walked. You can guess how delightful that hour and a half was, trailing along through the white summer dust, with ground ivy crushed in my hands, and the sights and sounds of the countryside all about me. Wednesday the 13th. Played tennis but was all the time worried by the recollection of a letter I had posted in the morning to the secretary of the American University Extension Society. They have asked me to go out for the Easter term and give a course of lectures on English literature, and in my letter accepting their invitation I somehow managed to spell needless with an A. This is an absurd mistake, 
which kept taunting my mind, as villagers say, and I was continually making faces to myself and mentally howling. Thursday the 14th. There is a bank clerk lodging also at Richmond Villa. This evening I talked quite a long time with him, like a double-dyed fool referring to the ignominy of my present position, which of course he did not understand. Friday the 15th. This morning we made a diminutive pond in the orchard. We then caught a number of unfortunate leather-backed toads and made them swim in it. Saturday the 16th. Fell off my bicycle and bruised my knee badly. Rex absolutely refuses to walk and will not bicycle outside the garden. He likes to steer his way around the narrow kitchen garden paths with me behind him. I was doing this when I fell off. Monday the 18th. Tried to stir Rex's imagination by reading The Burial March of Dundee. Heard from my brother. He says, to worry about needless is needless worry, for the secretary will only think it a slip or a late English fashion. Tuesday the 19th. We do our work in an upstairs room. We sit by an open window. From my chair I look across the lawn at three magnificent elm trees. Morning after morning the intervening atmosphere is quivering with life, a myriad of gnats dancing in the hot sunlight. I wonder if they in their tiny life have invented gods for themselves, or if ever a single great-hearted gnat has died for the rest. Friday the 22nd. Saw the tomb of the Earls of... A huge mausoleum standing on the edge of a hill overshadowed by cedars and overlooking a luxuriant Hampshire champagne. The building itself was strangely chilling to the spirits, as such places usually are. One thought of the succeeding generations so free and powerful succumbing each in his turn and being carried to this house of crumbling coffins and dead men's bones. The absolute inevitableness of death, one must never forget that. Sunday the 24th. Went to church and sat right at the back, next to the font. Periodically got a glimpse of my pupil and grinned like a lemur. In the afternoon played the fool with Rex and then walked around Bagnall with his sisters discussing socialism. Tuesday the 26th. As we were changing for tennis, Rex threw half a glass of water at a little village girl who was passing below his window, and had accidentally trodden on the edge of the lawn. I could have killed him as he stood there, his fat, flabby, half-naked body concealed behind the curtain. Saturday the 30th. Played tennis with two vulgar piano manufacturers. Their hair plastered down with brilliantine, as I noticed, when they bent down to alter the height of the net. I hated them, In the evening brought the clarion. How refreshing after intercourse with these people to read the direct and downright writing of old Blatchford and Neil Lyons. Sunday the 31st. Cecily is dead in Paris. I was haunted by this all day long. She was seventeen, and yet it seems such a little time since I used to see her at parties, a child immaculate, in dainty frock, blue sash and evening shoes. Another horrible Sunday. 
pain is the choice of the magnanimous pleasure is not an end in itself but rather an accident wednesday june third walked by the river and watched azure blue dragonflies glide here and there saw the reflection of an old mill in the water and from the mere joy of consciousness felt splendidly indifferent as to the future saturday the sixth rex insisted on catching dragonflies and letting them loose in a hothouse was kept for supper saturday the thirteenth drove to a river three miles away rex fished but could catch nothing i walked behind peering into the deep clear water so different from that of our somerset parrot the meadows on each side were golden with buttercups i longed for escape i longed to wander forever through such fields monday the fifteenth we are digging a deep hole in the spiny a kind of smuggler's cave it is extraordinary what satisfaction i derive from this occupation there is something in the actual physical labour which makes me forget my abasement tuesday the sixteenth a silly old major has come to stay in the house he went through the indian mutiny and now in his dotage plays at being gallant with mrs t wednesday the seventeenth went to the agricultural show with rex he wore a white mackintosh and i was astonished to see how he had already acquired the insolent manner of the vulgar rich it rained most of the time but the flowers arranged inside the tents possessed amazing colour i came across a farmer from our part of the country and longed to tell him to tell my brother he had seen me in hell thursday the eighteenth dug the hole sunday the twenty-first sat at the back of the church next to a cripple with a pink bow in her hat all these people must be absolutely mad how could they otherwise be so dull and stupid in a world like this in the evening read in the little front garden of the villa i helped my landlady water her flowers geraniums canterbury bells and snapdragons the smell of the dampened earth very delicious all the time village people were loitering along the road thursday the twenty fifth i have constructed a kind of tent in the little front garden it is made by hanging blankets over an old clothes horse i have brought a lamp and read late every night often marking the time and date on the margin of the book so that when i read the passage again i shall be reminded of my time of consciousness in this tiny garden saturday the twenty seventh a little cousin of rex's arrived to-day we three played together and i was perfectly happy in her radiant and animated presence she is only fourteen years old we showed her all the secret places in the garden our hole and the nests in the trees she got very hot and asked me to carry her summer hat because the elastic was tight and hurt her chin sunday the twenty eighth sat in the back of the church and then played in the garden i was asked to conduct mary to a friend's house our way was across fields and we walked side by side it was very hot in the tangled hedgerows no birds sang only the shrill bat-like cry of field mice was audible she refused to go in at the gate but clambered over a high wall at the bottom of the garden waved good-bye and vanished forever tuesday the thirtieth 
picnic supper on the downs. Rex fell down and began to cry, and I felt extraordinarily exasperated. Rather an attractive Scotch girl called Doris is staying here. She was at school with one of Rex's sisters. Saturday, July 4th. There was a party today, a fantastic affair, reminding me of the mad garden party in Alice of Wonderland. They all had more money than manners. I could not have conceived it possible that so many silly vulgarians could have collected together. One person alone attracted me. He was the parson of the place. We went apart and talked, and he, with tears in his eyes, spoke of Jesus his master. I could fancy him to have only just left our Lord's side. He might have been walking yesterday with the twelve in Galilean lanes. I was amazed. Here, I thought, at last I have come across somebody whose life is reality, who really is alive. I loved him. Tuesday the 7th. Late in the evening I escaped and ran off to the vicarage. The priest was alone, his wife away. It was a beautiful night and we wandered about his garden, over his lawn and up and down his box-fringed path in the kitchen garden. We talked of literature and religion. Although his head is grey, there is a passion in his soul. The summer garden, as we walked about in it, seemed enchanted, with its dim aromatic shadows and listening flowers, so enchanted that one could hardly believe that the dull importunacy of routine things would ever again obscure one's imaginative insight. Wednesday the 8th. It rained all day. We played hide-and-seek in the house. On one occasion I came across Doris, curled up in a linen cupboard, flushed and laughing and very provocative. Thursday the 9th. Played tennis in the rain at the doctor's house, then ran off to my lodgings, hoping to get an evening to myself. However, they sent a motor, begging me to come to dinner. Friday the 17th. We all went to play tennis at the Hussies, a very old family, tragic and doomed. The squire... A man of sixty has twice been in a lunatic asylum and has still the sullen preoccupied look of a homicidal maniac. He is a very big man with an immensely broad back, pale face and slobbering articulation. I walked to the end of the terrace with his wife, the lady in black, and she showed me her dead boy's garden with the flowers he had planted and the border stones he had arranged. Monday the 27th. Only one more week and I shall be free. Thursday the 30th. We have motored down to Weymouth for the night. Just now I walked to the end of the pier. The lights from the crescent-shaped front shone like golden daggers in the sea. I am sitting in my bedroom near the open window, footsteps on the esplanade and the distant whistle of a railway train, shrill and weirdly romantic, are the only sounds audible above the surge and ripple of the sea. Monday, August 3rd. Free at last, wished good-bye to many people, and the evening was with my brother. We walked to a village five miles from his home and had supper there in a little back parlour. We had much to talk about. It was midnight before we got back, but we who are possessed never grow tired. End of part 13